Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. This is a reposting of the John Lurie episode, and today, January 22nd, 2021, is the premiere of Painting with John, and you may or may not know this, but my podcast was a bridge to this show happening on HBO, or at least the direction it took to get to HBO. Um, A little backstory, uh, John Lurie and I have been following one another on Twitter for a long time. I still to this day don't know why he followed me, but I was shocked and flattered. And over the years, we've uh, messaged back and forth. And one day I got the um, nerve up to ask him to do the podcast. Totally expected him to say no. Uh, he said, yeah, I, I think I could do that. Um, and we went back and forth a few times uh, trying to set up a date. And we never really solidified a date. He just was like, oh, maybe we could do it this Saturday. And he um, he wouldn't give me his number, which I understand. But he uh, So he called me from an unidentified number and left voicemails. I never answer those because I don't know who the fuck they are. And maybe I owe somebody money. I don't know. But uh, he left me these voicemails of like, hey, I thought we could do this. And I was like, holy shit. So, and if you listen to the end of this episode, um, some of those voicemails will be up there on the, uh, on just to listen. They're kind of fun. Anyway, so I scrambled. I get my stuff set up. Uh, I message him on Twitter. I'm like, hey, uh, call me back. We can do this. I, I, I was a bit, I mean, I was prepared, like I was, but I, like I had been researching and I had questions and thoughts and things I wanted to discuss with him, but I wasn't like focused and ready to go. <laughs> anyway, but so one of the things he sent me before we did the interview was these clips for a show that he was working on called Painting with John. And they were just clips. It wasn't like an episode. And I loved them. I thought they were brilliant. They were funny. They were mesmerizing. There's many, it was just this multifaceted level video. I just was obsessed with it. And I assumed he was coming on the show to discuss this show and like, you know, be like, Hey, it's going to be on such and such network come September or whenever. Um, right at the top of the, uh, conversation and you can hear it. He's like, he says, I I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It's either a movie. It's a, he wasn't sure what he was going to do with it. And that set up a, set off a light bulb over my head because I was like, I have an idea what to do with this. So we conduct, conducted the interview or finished it up. And uh, uh, I, I'm friends with Adam McKay. And anyway, it, you can I'll put that also the, the, the conversation that John and I had about me sending this show to uh, Adam McKay about it getting made so that that conver- I, w- I could tell you the conversation but you can hear it at the end of the episode after the voicemails <laughs> so you can hear that I guess the moment that this journey of uh, painting with John and Adam McKay had because I asked John if I could send the material to McKay in hopes that Adam would like it and they would want to work together and of course they did and I uh, I had, when I did this, when I emailed Adam, I had no motive of getting a job or making any money off of it. I just was like, wow, this show is really incredible, and it needs to be out in the world. And 
I have the friend that um, is capable of making that happen, so maybe I can make it happen or help. So that is the connection, conversations with Dwyer uh, has with John Lurie, painting with John, and it getting uh, to HBO. Um, it's, to be quite honest, like, I, I never expected that or <laughs> or to get a producer credit. And uh, it, it's still surreal because, like, John Lurie, since I was a teenager, has been this figure, creative figure, who you kind of looked up to if, you know, films, music, art. And so to be connected to him in, in a professional manner or just in any manner is not just an honor, but it's surreal. So please, if you like, you enjoy this conversation. If you've listened to it again, if you haven't, enjoy it. It's a great one. And then at, after the outro, at the end of the show, there's a little bit of bonus material, and I hope you enjoy it. And thank you very much for listening. And please watch Painting with John on HBO Max. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the show and being here. If you like my theme music, that is by Ken Vandermark. The song is called Turn Your Head. It's from his album Utility Hitter, and that is copyrighted 21st Mobile Ass Cap. Today happens to be my 170th and, uh, not anniversary, <laughs> episode. I didn't uh, intend to do anything extra special, like have an extra special fancy guest for the show, but I ended up having one, and it is Mr. John Lurie, who I have am a longtime fan of, who I think is fantastic, whether it be his music, his acting in films, his painting, and his various other endeavors in life. If you are unfamiliar with John Lurie, I am would be surprised, really, but especially if you're a listener of my podcast. He is in films like Stranger Than Paradise, Paris, Texas. He's a, He was in The Lounge Lizards, and Marvin Pontiac were music creations of his, which I love. And, of course, he's an incredible painter. And then, you know, there's some many other things he's done. And it's all incredible. He joins me today to talk about his new project, Painting with John, and working on a book that will be out in about a year. I'm flattered and honored he took the time out to do it. I'm glad it comes in with my 170th episode, so it uh, gets it a little extra. Hooray! 170 episodes with John Lurie. Um, if you're a first-time listener, I want to welcome you and thank you for taking the time out to listen to the podcast. I'm assuming you've heard about it and are here to hear John Leary, and uh, we will get to that. If you're a long-time listener, I also welcome for you to be here. And if you people like my show, uh, there's 170 episodes. Go through my library, check out the older episodes. I've interviewed some legendary writers, musicians like Wayne Kramer of the MC5, Boots Riley, director and musician, Jerry Stahl. I have a great history of of episodes, so please go and listen. Uh, if you want to be more of part of the show, uh, hear bonus episodes or commentary on each episode, you can become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash Matt Dwyer. There's all kinds of stuff there. Go to the mattdwyer.com. That's a jumping off point to all my social media, merch, and etc. etc. I don't want to 
yammer too much because I'm really excited about this episode. I really enjoyed doing it and I was like high afterwards. I was like, for like two hours, I felt like I was on some really sweet, fine pure drugs because it was just great and it was an honor to talk to Mr. John Lurie. So why don't we just get to that? Enjoy the episode. about uh, painting with John, which I, I want to thank you very much for sharing with me. It's, uh, I didn't, I had no expectations. Uh, I know you're a brilliant man, but I was just, it's, it's, it's mesmerizing. It just like sucked me in and I, I didn't want it to end. How did you, what sort of uh, brought this idea to fruition for you? Oh, God, I don't know. You know, forever, one of the people were saying, oh, you got to do painting with John, and it just seems such a corny idea because of fishing with John. you got to do painting with John. And then, and then we were down on the island, and I had to come back to New York, and um, I was doing this thing of mixing watercolor with India ink in a way that it was creating this effect, and I knew, because I wasn't going to finish this painting right then. So Nesrin just filmed me with her phone uh, while I was doing it, So, I could, but then I started fooling around and talking to her, and then watched back like this five minutes of me screwing around talking to the camera and then going back to painting, and then I just thought, well, this can work. And then... There was this kid, he's not even a kid, he's 33, but I think of him as a kid, and who had done, Eric Mokas, who had done, at first I met him uh, on Twitter or Facebook or something like that, and he wrote me, you know, uh, there's something I wanted to show you, and I just said, look, fuck you, I don't, you know, because I get like 20 people there, oh, here, please listen to my music, oh, I think you'll like this music, or I want you to see this video, people you don't know sending you stuff, and I just, you don't want to deal with it, and I, and I was rude to him, and then I felt bad, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I didn't mean to be rude, but it was just like the 20th person that day, and it was just like I lost my temper, and so I wrote back and apologized, and he said, he had put together this, this one-hour loop of the Fishing with John theme song and the image, you know, the titles of Fishing with John, he put it together in an hour-long loop, which I thought was kind of a wonderful idea. And so then, you know, but I was really sorry because he had actually sent me something that was for me. It was like, not like, listen to my band or look at my paintings or, you know, I made this short movie I'd like you to act in. It was, it was you know, you get a lot of selfish people on social media, but it was like, it really was a gift. And so then when the Marvin Pontiac Asylum tapes came out, he made uh, a video for I Don't Have a Cow. And I just thought, well, maybe I can actually do some kind of thing. If he, if he wants to come and live with me, because I got the Lyme disease and I've also got, you know, I'm, I'm a, the side effects from the cancer treatment lasted forever. Uh, and so I really didn't get that much time during the day where I was okay. So, so if he came and live with me and we could shoot for an hour here an hour two hours there if he's willing to be patient and he was and um 
and we were really on the same page. And just the two of us made this thing that would have cost a normal film company like $20, $20 million, you know, but just the two of us with Nesrin's help and, you know, like building the set. And, uh, and we, you know, got the backyard and the location's amazing. So, um, and it just all sort of fell together. And it was just like, I just, I just, and I don't know what it is. I mean, we've got at least three hours of footage that all work. So you saw, what, like 20 minutes of it or something. But I don't know if it's a movie or if it's 10 episodes or I don't know what it is. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm just sort of waiting for that to sort of happen rather than... Because the last thing I want to do in this life is deal with any more assholes. And I don't want to start <laughs> approaching... I really, I really don't. And so I don't want to start approaching, you know... Netflix and Disney or even you know the people who I've dealt with in the past who would do, who would do that kind of thing for me I mean and just went through this thing with this guy he's kind of well known I won't say his name but you know well call me at 3 o'clock Monday and I say and then when I didn't it was like he punished me for, for not being able to call him and you know just, I don't want to deal with that anymore so I'm just going to make this thing and you know the, the kid Eric is is in is in Montreal and so we're not in the same place so he works on it we talk about it on the phone he works on it and sends me a clip and then you know we change things around and we're just going like that and we'll just see what it is you know after another month of doing this kind of thing yeah because when I watched just the 20 minutes of it and then you sent me several other clips like and I don't say this in like a fan or ass kissy way but there's something it's special like it's a very unique and brilliant thing and there's nothing like, there's nothing like it yeah, but that also can be the problem. I mean, you know why the lounges couldn't get a record deal for the last 20 years we were together? Or it was because, because they couldn't figure out what, how to, what to call it. So you talk to somebody from a record company and say, well, we don't know where we would put it in the stores, so we're going to have to pass. I mean, so, and then this is the same thing. It's like you give it to whoever, and then it's like, well, is it a nature show? Is it, a, is it, a, is it educational? Is it humor? Uh, we don't know what it is, you know? So, it's, you know, you make something that's never been made before, and you really get hurt, you know? Is that... You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that... Has that been... I mean, I already got warned... I got warned about that from... Uh, that there's a couple of people who I, I would actually like to work with on this. I, I don't know who I'm going to do, but the people I respect and, and trust and, you know, to have them sell it. But one of them said, you know, you're going to have to really decide what to call it, you know, because if it doesn't fit into their you know, this programming or that programming or, but I think it's a movie. I mean, my, my goal is that we make this into a movie and maybe not, I don't think, you know, with what's going on, people won't be going to theaters anymore anyway. So something for, it can be on pay-per-view or on Netflix as, as a movie and then do 10 episodes a year until I'm 112, you know, it should, you know, I'm, I'm set for life. Is it outside of the lounge list? I'm glad you, I mean, I think it's really, excuse me? Oh, uh, no, go ahead. No, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, I think, I mean, we, I sent it to the hardest people I could think of, and everybody's loved it so far. So that's been a pretty good sign. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, also, I was just shocked at, like, the painting, because I can't see what it's like. It's too subjective for me. So the painting itself, everybody said I was mesmerized by it. So, uh... Yeah, I mean, it's... So, a, the, 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 it's just such a complex... Good. Like, you can't describe it, but it's... To me, it's something... It's a, an experience that you feel and are just sort of pulled into. And because when you started, it's funny, and then you're painting, and it's... It's it's it's, it's soothing and, and zen-like, and then you go back to being uh, absurdist, and it's just it's to me it's it's mind blowing, and it's um, I'm, I'm flaking on the person I want to compare it to. It's but anyway, it's it's its own unique. Um, and somebody, so, I mean, I've gotten a lot of I've got a lot of descriptions about like it's somebody, somebody meets somebody, but somebody said it's um, it's Mister Rogers meets Colonel Kurtz, you know, <laughs> Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now, yeah, you know, which I thought was kind of perfect, you know. And somebody else said you know, it's Bob Ross meets George Carlin, and then I, I mean, who, who knows what it is? Um, yeah, that that was interesting because. I, has there ever been, other than Bob Ross, is has there been a painting show prior? Like I, I can't think of anything. Other than I bet there's been lots of painting shows. I'm sure there's been lots of painting shows. Because like it's when you hear something like that, that's the first thing you think of is Bob Ross, and then which you completely disarm within the first thirty seconds of the or a minute of the of the episode that I saw. There's a later section that you didn't see that um, there are no happy trees in my paintings. They're all miserable. All my trees are miserable. <laughs> Excuse me. That hit me hard. Um, it, it just seems like in a, there's so many uh, venues these days for uh, these uh, unique kind of shows that I don't know it seems like it, it will land somewhere I, I'm sure I'll find a place for it it's just I just don't want to deal with much uh, you know the gatekeepers you know I just don't want to deal with it too much uh, you know yeah no I, t I totally understand I mean I've, I've lived in Los Angeles for 18 years and uh, hey I've uh, had moments where I thought I was going to jump through a window so <laughs> yeah no they, they can make things really unpleasant I, I mean I don't know why. I guess it's just a power thing I, I, I used to be shocked when I used to do music for movies about how little anybody seemed to care how good the music how good the movie was or how the music worked with the movie and the only thing they were concerned with was like who would return whose phone calls it, were, it was really I don't know unpleasant did you have a and, you know, they, they should really be indicted too with all the zillions of dollars that those people make the, the idea that I mean the, the idea that now everybody's stuck in their house and there's nothing to watch I mean that's 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 as bad as what Trump is doing you know they should be decent movies for people to watch right now are there any films these days that you enjoy? I mean, it's I I'm a bit of a weirdo, so I, I don't find many I like. Is is there anybody who film? I, I mean, there? nothing really nothing really pops nothing really pops into my head. I mean, what have I seen? 
I, I always flake on the filmmakers. I mean, I, I, the Joker, I was just like, okay, it was okay. It was just, it wasn't really much, you know? And then, and it was, it was, oh, I see. It's Taxi Driver meets uh, King of Comedy. I, it just, I, and then Quentin's last movie, it was, I mean, they're just okay, but they're not great. And then, I can't think of anything, but I know there must have been something that I thought that was good, but I can't, it's not popping up at me. Uh, I can't think of his name. I always flake on his name, but the filmmaker who made Tangerine, I thought was, I think he does some pretty interesting... I don't know who that is. I don't know Tangerine. It's it's he, it's a pretty low-budget independent film, and it's about uh, uh, transgender prostitutes at Santa Monica and Highland, and it's just about, one, about them getting out of prison and... You know, it's just it's a unique, interesting characters that you just don't usually see people tackling. Um, but that's besides. The point. Where can I see it? It was on Netflix. He also did the Florida Project, which the trailers for that film. Oh, I thought that was genius. Yeah, he did that, and he did Starlet, which is another. He picks these characters that are the rest of society shits on. Especially, and then, there's a scene with the with with the you know. Um, the woman and her little her little girl is one scene towards the end it just stops time I mean it was like it was just there was a couple of scenes in there towards the end with the non-actors that were just mind-blowing so I'll look for that yeah I think you would really like it I, I the only person I can kind of I, I had a Florida project I really liked I really liked it Willem was good in that too yeah it's they marketed it like more like it was going to be a cutesy kid movie and that's so I avoided it until I learned it was that director whose name I always forget because it's like Bob Baker he's got like this very normal name <laughs> so it doesn't pop in my head yeah, get a get a French name those stick in people's head um, when you when you were scoring films was that uh, how different was that from when you were composing jazz is there a completely different approach that you had to learn yeah it's completely different but it also depends on how big the movie is you know for the little movies it's a little more pleasant than the big movies and uh, you know a lot of it's just about the timing of things and how much they got it together and there would always be this thing where, you know, you're not supposed to start controlling, you know, like when the movie's, when the picture is locked, it means they're not going to edit anymore, and then you can start timing the music out. And then it would never be locked, and then you'd be in the studio rewriting the cue at the last minute because somebody had screwed up, or, oh, yeah, we didn't tell you about this, and, and, you know, it would make it really miserable, and you'd lose the feel. You can't just sort of, like, make it a little faster or a little slower or cut, you know, cut two beats out of the bar you got to really rewrite the whole thing so you know it's just like this production line kind of thing and then and nobody really seems to care how good the movie is so you've got this thing where there's you know jackhammers outside the house it's like well can I get a tape of that to see what that's like so I can write the music inside it or around it and it's like oh well you don't need that it's not music it was like well I do need that and it was just all, it was just so unpleasant and I, I think it's probably what I could have been best at but I just couldn't stand it anymore is it just more like a job than a creative endeavor well no I mean you have to treat it if it was just a job it would be great but even if you try to not care about the music you always end up caring about the music so 
then you wouldn't want them to wreck it, you know. You want to protect it. And, uh, you know, you've got this thing that's got a, like a groove to it, and then some music editor decides to cut two beats out, and it's, or a, a, a half a beat. Oh, it's fine. You know, it's like, it's not fine. You just ruined the feel of the whole thing, you know. There was, there was a Jimi Hendrix thing on a TV commercial about two years ago where somebody had, had chopped the music up. I think it was all along the Watchtower, maybe. It was just like, it made me insane. It's like, how could you do that, you know? They don't, uh, they don't, I mean, they blatantly don't care if they're, it, it just seems wrong that J Jimi Hendrix would be in a commercial anyway. C commercials ruin the beach. Yeah, boys. I mean, who saw it? Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I only knew the Beach Boys as the guys in the Sunkissed commercials and a couple other things, and I never, it made me not want to listen to them until I got older, and I was like, oh, yeah. I, I should probably listen to these guys. No, I was I was I was unfairly prejudiced against the Beach Boys for a long time, and then I, and then some of the, some of the Brian Wilson stuff. It's like, oh my God, listen to the chords on that. Oh, you know, like, like especially the stuff where he was on his own doing that stuff, you know. But um, but I really was prejudiced against them for a long time. And somebody in the band was just sort of playing songs on the bus on the guitar. I was just like, what is that? Anyway, you know. God only knows where I'd be without you or something like that. It's just like the chords are like, whoa, you know, it was shocking. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, it's, I, I don't think I could have comprehended how complex he was as a kid. I probably still can't because I'm not as musically literate as, as you are. Was it, when you, because you grew up in New Orleans, so I'm guessing that's where you learned about jazz or you? No, I mean, we left there when I was like eight. Oh, really? Uh, no, no, we moved to Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah, we, we lived, I was born in, in Minneapolis and then we're from seven to maybe nine that we lived in New Orleans. But uh, we weren't really exposed to music there except for what my parents were. You know, they had some Miles Davis records and, uh, they had pretty good musical taste. I mean, you know, a little bit of everything, you know. I'm sure they had, like, probably two Mozart records, two Miles Davis records, and, you know, I don't know what they had, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, my mom had Anne Murray, so I'm, I'm envious. But uh, your parents seemed, I don't know, your parents seemed pretty, from what I heard you talking about on some stuff I watched, like, were pretty hip, like you were saying how they, or it was in your show how they yeah no they really were I, I you know you don't kind of know because it's your own parents so you don't know what else there is but they, I think they actually were remarkable and, and, and all three of us are certainly different because of them and they um I mean my father had me reading James Baldwin when I was 12 you know uh so what and yeah they were they were different yeah yeah, sorry? Oh, I was just going to ask what your father did for a living. Well, he was... Um, what he ended up doing was selling Israeli bonds, but that was hard. I mean, it was the only, only job he could get because um, he had been... He, you know, he went to NYU and he was supposed to be the next James Joyce. He wrote the literary magazine under pseudonyms and, you know, but instead of doing that, he went to the South and organized, uh, started unions for the farm workers and stuff, which 
you know, while he was alive, I didn't really see the bravery of that or the sacrifice, but it must have been tough and kind of, you know, very altruistic of him to do that. And then he couldn't, you know, and then he got branded a communist and couldn't get work, you know. Damn. I just, but when you were talking about your parents, because as a parent, I, I was, I was like, I want to do what they did. <laughs> so that's why I'm asking about, because it's like, I want to keep that creative spark alive in my child because I think you you talk about it like when kids are four and five and they paint like I see the stuff my daughter does and it's pretty remarkable sometimes and no and they're never bad these four or five year olds they come home and they like and they're never bad they're always good the kids the stuff the kids are doing it's always good and then it goes away and somehow I think my mother must have done it she taught art school where the Beatles went I'm not at the same time but I'm but and she was an artist and I, somehow she instilled in all three of us like that childlike thing to not be afraid of that and to hold on to it and do you attribute that to your because you've had an endlessly creative career it, it doesn't seem to have have ever ever stopped really it's like pretty remarkable well that's like saying you know I, yeah I, I don't know I, I, you can run out of ideas I suppose but I mean it's like saying I'm gonna run out of sentences to say it's just <laughs> you know what I mean you're, you're not worried you're gonna run out of words you, you know it's, it's just kind of keeping the, the door open to it you know I was curious about... And also, I mean, with this one, I'm really... With this painting, which I'm really trying to take what I'm given rather than to force it to be anything or so I had this idea and I want it to be like this and then, yeah, you know... I mean, with painting, with painting, you know, it's like I have this idea and then I try to, but then it's like the ones I just let happen, it's always better, you know? You just take what you're given, and that's what I'm trying to do with this, but then I don't know what I'm making. You know, we're going to see if it's a movie, and Eric keeps, I always wanted to call him the kid, but he's just not a kid, but I just sort of call him the kid, which I see as a compliment, but maybe it might be seen as dismissive. But, and, you know, he's right there, he's, he's editing, the Rudolph story and he's going to send me actually he sent it to me right as I was calling you so it's like an hour long thing he's going to send of us going to look for this guy Rudolph and then we'll cut it down to three minutes we'll pick the best bits and I said okay this can say this and then try to figure out what it is you know if it's all me doing a voice over over the top or just letting it play but we go up into the hills and we see a monkey and, and then and then we find Rudolph who actually who had lived with me for a while and then moved up into the mountains to make a, he built a hut and just moved, lives in the mountains now when you sit down to do a painting do you uh, how much of an idea do you have is it just do you sit down to a blank canvas I, I mean I, I sit down to a blank canvas and I decide on four colors I want to you know maybe I do a background first or maybe you know I'll just have four colors that I want to mess around with and then see what I got you know it, I don't really figure out what it is so it's about halfway through halfway through first half they're really just abstract paintings and then a lot of people in the art world have said well you should make these abstract paintings they'll do much better financially but I feel like that's cheating if there's not a, if I haven't created a world in the painting you know then I, I haven't done it um 
Yeah. It's disappointing, like on social media, you post stuff and it's like if it's got a funny title, it gets a hundred times more attention than if it's a great painting, which is always a little disappointing. Did you approach a composition of music the same way? Would you just, would it be, because it always fascinates me, especially with jazz. What sparks that idea? Is it a, f- a feeling, a thought, an emotion? Or I guess that's redundant. But <laughs> yeah, let's see. I mean, you know, in music, you're always just sitting around, fucking around. You play sitting on the couch playing the guitar, and or you know, you practice the saxophone for a couple hours a day, and then as you're doing it, something floats through, and it almost always all the best stuff. It doesn't even feel like it was yours. You know, I don't want to get all hokey about it, but it really always feels like the best, best stuff. It always feels like a gift. You have to just be open for it, and your technique has to be good enough to, to capture it. And then you build a little fortress around it to not ruin it, you know? So if you just had like two bars of this little thing, and then then that was the gift, and then you got to build a house around it, you know? You sort of follow me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but with I, painting, with painting, it's the same. With painting, is the same thing. But that that little gift comes tends to come later, where you just start a background and then you add some little black specks over in the corner, and then a red speck underneath it, and then just what is that? And then, you know, and then it just sort of slowly falls into place. Do you just let? But the thoughts stay out of your head because I mean I know sometimes when you, uh, I create but what stay out of your head thoughts the thoughts what, what, what? Well, because like sometimes you... I mean, I get hypnotized by it. I mean, I get hypnotized by it, and I just sort of disappear. I didn't think I was going to be able to actually let somebody film me doing it and get into that same state. And actually, when we first started, the paintings weren't as good as they'd been because I couldn't kind of just sort of forget that I was on camera. And also, you know, like let's say he's filming the details on the painting, and you know, okay, if I put a, put down this dark brown background and I add a spot of watercolor with yellow with a lot of water will expand in a nice way for the camera but it might not have been the best thing for the painting so you start you start playing for the camera you know and then I had to kind of pull that back the other thing that's really weird is talking into a camera is just it's terrible it's just it just is the worst thing in the world to do it's like you're sitting there talking to a camera and if I'd already told the camera guy Eric if I'd already told him the stories before so I was repeating them then it really felt bad so it's just like you feel like such a phony like just sort of sitting there talking to the camera in this friendly way and then you kind of realize that everybody you see on the TV who can do that is a sociopath <laughs> because it's not a normal thing to do but then if I hadn't told if I hadn't told him the story before then he would laugh while I was telling him and the camera would be shaking so we had to kind of get around all that <laughs> did you decide on the stories or is it a lot of it sp- spontaneous because there's these little well it's a Barry White story there's the chicken man story there's what you got Bob Ross you got the Bob Ross one, Bob Ross was wrong, and yeah, and that's part of the Mighty Mouse, and then doing cocaine in a closet. There, were, the, there was about twenty. There was about twenty stories I had, and, and and you know, some of them I wrote out, and some of them I just you know sketched out, and then 
probably in the end there'll be only eight of them I'll probably have to it'll be too long it'll be too much storytelling I mean I don't, it's a weird thing you know it's like you watch George Carlin or Dave Chappelle and you kind of like wonder it's like why did I keep watching because somebody is talking to the camera that, you know like on a comedy thing it's like what, what holds people's attention is like it, it was interesting like that and we all say you know so there's a bunch of dopey things where we roll tires down a hill or um or that thing I posted the uh, the garden gnome with the dancing or there's another thing where we find this branch from a papaya tree that really looks like an elephant trunk so I walk around pretending to be elephants singing a lot and then but then there's the painting and there's some more serious stories and then trying to figure out how much how much silliness and how much seriousness should happen and you kind of want to break it up but you don't want to go back and forth back and forth and then you also got night and day most of the paintings done at night but then you don't want it to be all night and then there's those tree frogs that are deafening um, at night so so they're really loud you know so you don't want them going through the whole show I mean and and also sonically those tree frogs are so loud that like if you call somebody on the phone they go like what is that a siren I mean they really pick up they have a certain sonic range that it's kind of screeching but it's nice when you're there but it's nice when you're there but recorded it's a bit much so we got to kind of figure out so we want to figure out what should be in the day and what should be at night you know and what should be silly and the world just needs something silly now too so yeah I'm also I'm also in this weird position of you know if you want the paintings to sell the art world has to take it very very seriously so you have to come off like you know self-important douchebag in order for the art world to kind of get behind it and but the world needs to be cheered up right now so we put more and more silly stuff in there which I know is going to make the art world go whoa I mean it was the same thing with the lounges you know I would get up there and tell jokes and then the serious music critic would go like well he just thinks he looks good with a saxophone but this can't be serious music because he was in those movies and now he's telling jokes you know but like you know, I bet Jesus was the funniest guy ever, and then nobody put it down because because the apostles didn't want to seem disrespectful talking about how funny he was. <laughs> <laughs> I a part of uh, there, I, but don't you imagine that? I mean, don't you imagine that? You know, probably not Van Gogh, but I bet I'm um, Shakespeare. I'm sure was funny as hell. He was probably the funniest person on the planet at the time. But um, no, Beethoven probably did didn't have much of a sense of humor, but I bet Bach did. I bet Bach had a great sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, Jesus would... Uh, it's no, it, They always portray him as being, like, really serious. I'm like, no one's going to want to follow that guy. You'd have to be, like, charming, and that's how people, why people follow other people. I, I, want, I mean, Gurdjieff has that whole thing where you're not supposed to laugh because it's, it's a waste of energy. Yeah, it's a, you know, laughing is a... But you know, Gurdjieff is funny. Well, I've d- 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 we, we're, I mean, you might want to look at this. We're going to start putting, like, in, you know, all, the, the, all those jungle shots, right? And so we're going to sort of start putting, like, Rasputin and Gurdjieff and Romano Maharshi, but so you can't even see it. They just go by and you're not sure if you saw it or not. We're going to start hiding them all in the show. <laughs> 
you, there's two things you brought up that I've wanted to ask about. Um, so it's going to have to split, I guess. it's but Because I want to ask about the stories that you tell, but also you mentioned the art world, and I feel like you've uh, tweeted about this and messaged me with about a little bit about, about the art world and how... Uh, what I find baffling is you say sometimes you can't get gallery showings and I'm like to me we haven't been offered a show in forever and forever I mean basically since the New Yorker article really that was what was the demarcation I was getting offered like six or eight shows in museums and top galleries around the world and then since that New Yorker article it was just like everything changed you know got offered nothing basically after that I mean very little um, we did another show in Tokyo with a, with a, but since then it's been really but the art world I don't know this so who knows what they're thinking I, just, I guess they have such good stuff to show that they just don't have time for my stuff <laughs> I mean it's not crazy to say that you're you're a legendary figure so to me I'm like who the fuck wouldn't want to show this guy like it seems like a, a no brainer but I don't know shit about the art world but I'm just like what is the disconnect here I, I, I don't know really I mean it's kind of not up to me to say but it's I think it's really wrong I mean we were supposed to have this show the last one it was uh, at um, at the New Orleans Modern Museum and uh and they just canceled it. It was all set. I mean, it was all, you know, I turned, you know, I mean, I had saved all the paintings that were going to go to Italy, and then they just canceled it, and they never really told me why. So maybe there's just some bad gossip out there or something. But I really don't know what it is. I mean, you would think that they would be so desperate to get something good. But... Uh, but then you look at what's what's happening. So I don't make plastic dogs. So I guess I'm out of the loop here. You know. Does it? I, I when I called you a legend, does that? How does that sound to you? Is that a weird thing to hear, or do you are you kind of aware of your sort of? Status? I don't know. When I got on Twitter and. And there would be like somebody who was whose work I liked and I would follow them and then they would write back, you know, somebody who's mildly famous, you know, like, and I want but they were like, oh my God, John Lurie, you're a legend. It was like, really? Because in a way, I mean, nobody knows any, has any idea who I am, you know, in a certain way. No, seriously. I mean, so it's like, but then all the famous people would go, oh my God, you're a legend. So it's like... What stories did you hear? Because, you know, you don't, it's, it's kind of odd. But, I mean, but I can't be that much of a legend if I can't get an art show. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're a man who for decades has consistently created unique, original, or I guess that's redundant, but like great work. And that's, I don't know, that's, that's a feat that's almost impossible. I mean, and in multi-genres, it's like they're what they, you know, that's a real renaissance man, as they say. I mean, it, it doesn't happen. I, I guess. I mean, I had no choice because, you know, I got sick and I couldn't play music anymore and I was just stuck at home and I was just painting sort of for myself for the longest time and then they got better and better and then there was a kind of a eureka moment where it's like, this really could be what music was at one point. I mean, I would have been sacrilegious for the first two years or something for me to hope for that. But it did sort of fall into place and then, you know, start working like 10, 12 hours a day and it just sort of started to unfold, you know. 
what, what I was curious about is because you're telling in the show, you tell a lot of your stories of your life, and I'm because I'm curious about because you're writing a book, and I was like, what? How many? A, how many stories does this guy have? It must be <laughs> endless. But like, well, I'm trying to divide. There's yeah. one. Oh, there's one story that's in both, and. Uh, but really, pretty much, I mean, I tried to keep them separate, you know. And when, when the guy, I like my guy from Random House, Ben uh, Greenberg. We're mowing through this. We're like three quarters of the way through in three weeks. But, um, um, you know, I sent him some of the clips like I did to you. And he's like, oh, I want that, that story for the book. <laughs> but mostly I was more generous to the book than to the show, you know. Cause, because the book is basically the 80s, you know, which is what they wanted. And then the show kind of covers more like my childhood and now, you know, so... I said to, to I, know, so I, I have to I have to get the sh the painting with John out before the book because I'm a much nicer person in painting with John than in the book, <laughs> you know. So I have to get that out so people will like me because if they just get the book, they'll be like, "He said what about who?" You know, like so I have to be careful. <laughs> and it's is it the overall art scene in the '80s or uh, it's a? I mean, you were. Is it just still? That you know, it's just kind of everything. I mean, you know, it's drugs and sex and music and the people I met and stories. You know. Yeah. Was that? But like in a linear, chronological, linear way. Was the art scene and the music scene as exciting as people? Because now it's like revered. Was did you know that there was something happening? That it was magical, or is it just like you're just going about your goddamn life? Um. Well, that always happens, anyways. It's like 20 years after any time, they all go like, "Oh my God, Ginsburg and and William Burroughs." You know, it's like, can you imagine being in the room then? You know, or you know, I, I think they always do it. You know, but um. And it was an amazing time, like New York City, where it's like all the weirdos came here, all the talented artistic people. But in a way, it was the amount of promise that was there, considering the work that came out of it, was kind of a disappointment, really, when you consider what what was what could have possibly happened and didn't. There wasn't enough discipline, you know. People were having a little too much fun. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was like, you know, people started dying, you know. People would be ODing or dying of AIDS. And, and so it kind of went from like so much fun to, to some kind of something kind of grim. But people weren't disciplined, you know, with their work, you know. People didn't spend 10 hours a day, you know, practicing or, or, or painting. You know, they spent a couple hours and then they went out, you know. Did you spend 10 hours practicing? Were you very dedicated? In I used to have to hide, you know, because I was making these little movies then. I used to have to hide that I played the saxophone and wanted to practice for two hours a day because it was like, it was so sneered at that anybody who actually practiced an instrument was like, why would you do that? That's disgusting. <laughs> Because every every band, every band, you know, in the early 80s, every band, you know, in downtown New York was like, you know, painters who, who, uh, who you know, started bands and couldn't really play, you know? Yeah. 
did you did you move to New York to for specifically for music or because I mean because you also made films it's like I, it's hard to figure out what the trajectory was no, I mean it just sort of happened I, it just sort of happened I mean I was living in in Boston and then I came here to visit I was sort of going out with this girl and then I went to this concert and the guy I went to see um was it Sam? I think Sam Rivers was supposed to play and he canceled and there was somebody bad playing instead and so I left it was sitting next to this guy who had a place in Brooklyn where he was the uh, basically the janitor he had this little place in the, in the basement and he said look if you want to this job you can have this apartment and so I, I moved to, to New York on that it was just it wasn't really a plan it was just sort of bumping around and that happened you know uh, how was I can't imagine I wouldn't have ended up in New York in, you know some way or another right how because uh, I've I think we messaged or I can't remember if you tweeted it but that the book was a, a pretty like one of the hardest things you've ever done creatively uh, is that oh, I, I just you know I mean just writing the thing the first time is kind of fun but then going back and fixing it and then moving this paragraph into another chapter and so oh god then you got it's just it's a kind of you have to use your mind in a way that's sort of exhausting and uh uh, yeah. So that wasn't as much fun. Um, Plus, like writing, writing is really like exercising. You know, when you stop exercising, you really don't want to start again. And then once you do it, like you do it for a week, and then your body says, "Oh, it might be fun to exercise," and so you want to exercise. But up, up, you know, when you stop, it's just, "Oh God, I don't want to start doing that again." And then you start, and you like it, and then it goes good. Uh, is there any uh, release dates on the on the uh, fuck? Sorry, I just was going to say film on the movie a book. <laughs> I think I just had a mini stroke. <laughs> I mean, I was I would guess I guess probably a year from now. Uh, and you're excited about that? I mean, that was the dumbest question ever. Are you excited about that thing you labored over? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little scary, you know. I feel I feel vulnerable about it, you know. It's a little scary, but. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, basically, yeah. I think basically, I mean, I really, really want Painting with John to come out first. I'm more excited about that, to tell you the truth. But I think the book is really good. It seems like it's going to be fascinating. And I mean, you said you're like worried people think you're mean or whatever, but I. Well, I mean, I'm just really honest about myself and about other people, and I call some people out, you know, like, and. Uh, I mean, I don't go out of my way to be mean, but I say what happened, and then if, you, if there's some story that's become famous that is not true, and you know it's not true, then I would I will say that, you know. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened. There's a lot of stuff that happened around Jean Michel that was just like people sort of glomming onto him for their own reputations. So it was it got kind of disgusting and, and weird. So I, I you know I go into that a little bit, but. Yeah, because you talk you talk about fame in in that episode of that you sent me to, and it's I don't because it, like, you you at one point you say you're happy you're not really f as famous anymore, and I, I did you enjoy fame or was it just kind of a fucking pain in the ass? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, you you think you want to be famous, and then. 
and then you get a little famous and then you think well I need more of this it's really kind of a drug kind of thing and then it's like you you walk through the airport and three people didn't recognize you and you think well I have to get it so everybody recognized me and then it's like why you know you don't even stop to think it's like why it's making your life worse not better but you know when you got when the fame thing is rolling then you know your lawyer calls you back right away your doctor calls you back right away you know it's like it's different how people treat you you know but um you just also all this stuff that gets attached to you and and it can be you know and I don't want to insulate myself from the world too and then most famous people have to like insulate themselves to protect themselves because it's exhausting people think they own a part of you that doesn't seem remotely appealing. <laughs> I used to think I wanted to be famous, and then I saw some friends get famous, and I was like, this looks fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, you don't, I mean, I'm in a nice position with that, because it's like I had it, and I know that's not... But then you want the work, you know, you want to make a living, you want respect for the work, but, you know, the fame thing is like, really, you know, that that's all the wrong reason. Well, I, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out to do this. Um, is there, just in case somebody doesn't know where to find you, your your work and whatnot, would you like to share websites or social media where people could find? Oh, John Art com is where you can see the paintings. John, L-U-R-I-E, art. And, and and eventually we're going to get Tom Steyer to buy two of those fucking paintings for me. <laughs> oh, that was you doing that. You yeah. didn't get one. No, I kept I kept trying. Maybe now that he's got a little bit more time, we can. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to hassling him. We sold a whole bunch of prints this week, which was kind of a shock. I thought nobody would be buying anything because of the economy, but we sold a lot of prints this week, which really shocked me. Oh, that's great. Um. I wonder what's going to happen with money. It's going to be very weird. Uh, I yeah. mean, once once this is over, you know, it's like, how does it get back on track? You know? Yeah, I'm currently doing freelance work, and I keep wondering if, like, I'm like, well, if the guy that I'm working for doesn't keep getting work, then I'm going to lose work. <laughs> it's like, I'm helping him. Yeah, you got kids too, right? Yeah, I got another one coming on the... May 2nd. Oh, yeah, you told me that, yeah. I mean, it's just scary, you know. I, I mean... Yeah, I, mean, I, I keep thinking like so much. So I keep thinking so much bad shit has happened. That something wonderful is going to happen now. Almost like mathematically, it has to be like that now. Something wonderful has to happen. Yeah, I've been oddly present and optimistic, which is not. It's something I've learned recently. But I, I feel like I was reminding myself before we started recording. I was like, you know, people had kids during World War Two and World War One and the Great Depression and people seemed to get through and you know I mean the worst fucking nightmare for me would be is we have to move to the suburbs of Chicago in the basement of one of our parents and then probably go on a 
murder spree because they're both evangelical Christians. <laughs> I, I don't understand the evangelical kids. I don't understand them. I, I mean, I, I, I don't either. I mean, I, the, my father-in-law believes that the world is 5,000 years old, and I'm like, you shouldn't be allowed to vote. <laughs> it's like, that should revoke any right to vote, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I've been to places in Africa and, and, and you know, islands in the Caribbean where the only kind of moral, decent people are the church-going folk, you know? So you can't just go like, well, the church is all fucked up because sometimes it really does put, you know, something decent into the society. Sure. And, uh, but... I don't understand. I just don't understand them. It's just like that can't. That's not Jesus's message. What you're doing here, it's just completely off base. I don't understand. Yeah, I have a friend who's Christian, born again Christian, or whatever. And but he's like, if he's like, if you're a Christian and not liberal, that's wrong. He's like, it, it's it's a liberal message, and you should be a liberal and vote liberally, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, that's how that makes sense, and that's I think. That's how Jesus would want it. Like I don't think he would be. Um, it certainly seems to have been Jesus's message was, you know, love everybody, you know, and I, I don't know. And then and now it seems like it's a message of hate. It's, I don't quite understand how it got to there. Yeah, it's it's baffling. If Jesus is real, uh, then if he comes back, those 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 people are going to be in some real deep shit. <laughs> well, he, he definitely was real. He was definitely a real person, and he must have been nothing else remarkably charismatic. I mean, he's more famous now than pretty much anybody you can think of, and he's never even had a publicist, so he has to have something going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, and everything you ever actually read that the, theoretically Jesus said is, uh, I can't, I have no fault with any of it. Yeah, there's a whole book called uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, and it's, it breaks down what it, the character of what Jesus, what, what he said, and then all the bullshit that's surrounding it. And it's like, you know, there's like the uh, apostles would start saying, well, he did this and that and this. And they're like, that goes against the character of what he spoke. So obviously, like, you know, people started fucking with it, right? His message right away. I mean, who knows? I mean, the, the apostles, they could have, I don't know. Maybe they were all Mike Pence, you know? <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for taking the time out to do it. You know, I wanted to do this for you. I mean, I, I, yeah, you always seem like a nice guy on Twitter, and um, yeah, and it wasn't painful. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Matt, where are you? Erg. Well, I was going to say we could do it right now, but otherwise, all right. Uh, around 8, 8.30 by time, something like that. All right, send me a message back on Twitter. I don't want to give out my phone number. Very careful about it. Sorry. Uh-oh, you're not answering? What do I do now? Hey, it's John Murray. Yeah, I guess you're... You haven't seen it noon. I thought it'd be over, and I thought I could do it now, but 
All right. Uh, send me a thing on Twitter, a message, and I'll try to get back to you in a timely fashion. When we jump off of this, I want to throw something at you real quick because I think I have. Uh, yeah, when we jump off of this, I'm going to think of 50 things I, was, I shouldn't have said that. But. Oh, well, I, I'll give it. A, I won't. It's not going to go up this week. So uh, I don't know if this interests you, but uh, uh, I'm sure you're aware of who Adam McKay is. He's an old, old, old friend of mine, and he started. He's starting a new production company, and they're looking for because he produces Succession. I don't know if you've seen that show on HBO, and he does a bunch. Of, he, but yeah, yeah, that's a really well done. That's really, really well done. Uh, uh, yeah, he's great. But he was. I just listened to him on a podcast yesterday, and he was saying like how he, their, his new company is looking to do. Uh, you know, they don't want to be a genre-specific company. They're kind of looking all over the place for interesting projects, and it doesn't matter if you... Well, you can send, you can send him what, what I sent. I mean, it's real ragged. You can send him what, what I sent you but and I, see what I, it, you know... Yeah, that's what I was going to ask your permission, and then if that's cool with you. I'll email him and see if he's what he... You know, if he's interested in looking at it, and uh, but... Uh, and also, I know he he's he's a fan, because anybody with half a brain is a fan of yours. And <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting. <laughs> uh, he's. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like you're in your music's great. You've done some of the, you know. Uh, I'm a legend. I you're a legend. It. I'm a legend. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'll let you get back to your day. And I'll follow I'm up. I'm such a legend. You think I, I'm going mean, to look for something on the TV now, and I bet I don't find anything. <laughs> you think a legend would be able to find something. Yeah, anyways, yeah, send it to him. That would be fine. Okay, I'll email him. But just ask him not to let it. I don't want it floating around, floating around, because it's like it might be a while before it comes out. So, you know, yeah. and it's pretty ragged with the sound and da da da. Uh, I don't remember what I said. What I sent you? Barry White and Fame and the first 13 minutes. And then uh, uh, white people dancing. Yeah. And the first, yeah, I think. Adam's got a unique There's a bunch more There's a bunch Bunch more But yeah Well I'll just see If he has any Kind of interest Or if he wants To look at it I don't You know I don't know He's also locked down so Sure He's got time To watch stuff <laughs> uh, If somebody Would just come along I mean actually I'm in this great position Where I can make this thing With just me and Eric Doing this thing And then Nobody else can work And so we're gonna have Like the only movie made During this period You know Yeah Kind of, and it's really. I think it's really good, but I can't be the one who says it. I think it's something really special about it. It, it. There definitely is. There's so it means, of course, in so so since it's good, it will probably never see the light of day, like everything else I did. You know, I can't get a painting show. I couldn't get a record deal. So I'm sure that this is doomed to failure. Or maybe I finally paid enough dues, or it will come out and expose all the other stuff too. Uh, I own all this music, you know. I own like I own like eight albums, you know, that I did. So I have all this music I can use throughout the show. It's kind of really great. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering how much of that music was yours. I figured it was. I, I, it's all mine. Yeah, that's what I figured. It's all mine. Did did you create any yeah. music for it? I know you don't play sax much, but I was wondering. no, no. I mean, I could, but then I just thought I wanted to keep using. I don't know. I thought it was always what was it? Black Klansman and the Spike used a cue from uh, from Inside Man, a good one. I was just like, man, that's cheating to use that cue again. But now I've done it over and over and over again. So I use I use this music. I've it's already been used somewhere else, but 
I don't know. It's mine. What the hell? Yeah. And then if somebody buys it. All right, it, man. All right. Thank you very much. 